Hi, family, and thank you so much for joining us tonight for our midweek service. I really, really look forward to this every week. I've said oftentimes through the years that my favorite service of the week is our midweek service where we just go through the Bible and we go uh, book by book and chapter and verse. And it's just, it's not only fun, but it's richly rewarding and deep uh, teaching that we get to feed upon. Well, tonight in the book of Second Peter, we've come to the third chapter, and we're going to talk about the day of the Lord. But before we do, I want to pray. I also want to ask you to please remember your, your uh, tithes and your offerings and to give online, or you can text 77977, keyword Woodland Church. That's just one word, Woodland Church. No space between Woodland and church. Tell you a little story. A family in our church forgot to put the space and they gave to another Woodland Church. They put in Woodlands and then uh, Spacebar Church. And um, so it, their, their giving went to another church. Well, that pastor uh, recognized that that giving was from uh, our part of the country. And so he called and they sent the offering, the, the family's uh, offering, uh, onto our church. And I thought that was so kind. And, and um, I really appreciated his doing that. So let me encourage you tonight, when you give, be sure you just text 77977, keyword Woodland Church, and you can use your credit card or your checking account, or you go online, or you can mail a check either way. There's so many ways that you can give to our church, and we appreciate it so much. And also, please don't forget that on uh, Saturday, we have a uh, regularly scheduled at 6 o'clock. Join Becky and I on my personal Facebook page for a uh, prayer service that we do. It has been so much let me rephrase how I was going to say that. There has been so many people that have joined us. We've even had other churches to join us there for this prayer service. So I hope that you will join us online and pray with us. There's so many needs. Um, before I begin the message tonight, if you would pray with me for a friend of ours that uh, had a heart attack a few days ago and they could not do the uh, surgical procedure they needed to do for him today. So he needs a miracle in his body and also another friend of ours in our community that needs healing from um, a, uh, a stroke that he's had. And then I've just received several more messages just tonight before the service. As a matter of fact, I was talking with someone to pray with them on the phone and they said, Pastor, you sound tired. And I'm really not tired. There's just been so many uh, health issues and relational issues that people are having challenges during the COVID crisis that maybe sometimes I sound just a little bit like um, I'm tired, but I'm not. The Lord is my strength, and uh, and I'm not making that up. I really have just been blessed with exceptional stamina, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'm looking forward to preaching tonight. So let's pray together, and let's pray for these who need a touch in their body as well. Heavenly Father, there's a song that I love to sing, and I sing it often just to you, and I share it now with the, the church as I'm praying Lord, you give strength to me as I worship you, and my mouth is filled with praise. Jesus, you break the bands as I raise my hands in glorious liberty. And I thank you tonight that, God, you do give us supernatural strength. You do touch us, and you encourage us, and you help us to go forward. And, Lord, we're still in the midst of this COVID crisis, and now the political conventions that are taking place there's so much going on that somebody said to me just a few moments ago, said, people are just going crazy. Lord, it's political season time, so we know they've not gone crazy, but it's just so much that's going on. But you couple this with this crisis, 
we need a clear reminder, God, that you're in control. We need, Lord, a clear reminder as well that you challenge us, you tell us, you invite us to come into your presence. And so I come to the very mercy seat that the blood of Jesus was applied to. And I pray for all of those who need a miracle touch in their body tonight, that you would heal them in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. So join me tonight, and let's look at the Word of God. We're going to talk about the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we're in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. And if you haven't downloaded the app yet, you can go to the app, and it's at Woodland Church Mobile on the App Store for Apple and for Google uh, Store. But if you'll go to our website or just open up your app tonight and join me, you'll find the sermon notes there. Here we go. 2 Peter chapter 3, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. That's a great phrase, your wholesome thinking, and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Don't miss that. Holy prophets, Lord and Savior, and your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately, notice that, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. He brought the earth from the, out from the water and surrounded it with water. And then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Becky and I were talking earlier this evening, and we made our Facebook daily prayer update and posted it just before the service tonight. But how that we grew up in a climate where people were constantly talking about the return of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a church where the, the rapture was preached upon constantly. And we had preachers who came in and they had their large charts that would fill up the platform. And they would preach and teach the Bible from those charts. And Becky's father loved to study biblical prophecy. And I just recently did a funeral for a friend of mine. And and he loved prophecy himself. As a matter of fact, I was going through his Bible, and I was noticing how many of the passages of Scripture that he had outlined about the return of the Lord. But my wife made a comment to me. She said, you know, I've heard about this all of my life. And sometimes people just begin to either take it for granted or they don't take it as seriously as it should. Well, there was nothing new because Peter's saying, you know, I'm writing you for a second time. This is the second letter that I'm writing to you. And he says, you are my dear friends. And that word, dear friends, in the Greek, you miss it um, because when we think of friends, dear friends, we really don't have the same emphasis that the Greek here has. The Greek says that we are deeply loved. God deeply loves you. So I'd like you to look at that as your first fill-in tonight. We are loved by God. And one of the ways we know that God loves us is He leaves us the promise of His return. 
Jesus said, I promise you I'm coming back for you one day. The scriptures are full of the testimonies that the Lord is coming back. Jesus spent a whole chapter of the Bible teaching about what it would be like at the return of the Lord. So Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, and kind of help you to see this, he says, this is now beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. And it's an accurate translation, my dear friends, but I want you to know how much God loves you. Because as you read this chapter, and as you look at the previous chapter, you know, last week we looked at how that Peter was really being tough on the false prophets and the, and the preachers of sensuality. He was really coming down on those guys. And so you might just feel like, oh, can I take any more? And it's like Peter brings us right back and he says, I'm writing to you to warn you about these kind of people who deliberately distort the word of God. Because I want you to remember you are dearly beloved. You are deeply loved by God. But then he says something in the second part of that verse that I want you to take a look at. Because he says to us, a sound mind reflects upon the day of the Lord. In other words, a sane person, a smart person, somebody who has healthy thinking. They don't forget and take for granted the coming of the Lord, but they reflect upon and they think about Peter says, look at it with me, if you would, in the outline. I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Now, Peter, in those earlier chapters, he's referring to the false teachers. He's referring to the persecution that they're going through. He reminds them that this is what Jesus himself said. But I wonder if Jesus was, if Peter was writing to us today. Now, think about this with me, and you might want to write this down. If Peter was writing to you and me today, a letter just to us here at Woodland Church, what would he warn us about? What are the concepts that he would remind us about? What are the ideas that he would warn us about? Would he talk to us about the fact that people want to say today the difference between right and wrong is a matter of personal preference or personal choice? Because that really is the teaching of today that what's right for you may not be uh, right for me. And as a matter of fact, it's really come down to a time we really want to define our own reality of morality. Let me say that again. We want to define our own reality of morality. Every person wants to be their moral God for themselves. They, they don't like their gender. They want to change who what their gender is. If they don't like what the Bible says, they want the Bible to change what the Bible says. Luke Timothy Johnson is a progressive theologian. And even though he disagrees with us on, on, the, on accepting the truths of the Bible, this progressive theologian says he is irked and he is tired of people trying to make the Bible say what it doesn't say. He said the Bible clearly speaks out on things that this progressive generation is calling not sin, but the Bible says is sin. And so I would like to commend to you tonight just to think, just put on your thinking hat and reflect. If Peter was writing to us today, what are the concepts? What would he warn us about in our culture that we're dealing with? And I'm not asking you to do that as your neighbor's judge. I'm not asking you to do that to be critical of other people. But I'm asking you, what are the concepts and the ideas today that would make people lose hope? I shared with our congregation a few months ago an article I read in the New York Times where a lady who is an atheist says, even though I don't believe in God, she says religion is a very valuable concept because religion helps a person. And friends, I want you to know tonight, just if you believe something, 
you know, it could be right or wrong, and you might feel emotionally helped, but if you're believing the wrong thing, you can end up in the wrong place. If you're believing the wrong map, you could end up in the wrong place. Let me just give you an example. A number of years ago, when my son, our oldest son, is in the military, he was transferred to a base with his family, and we went to see them. Well, on the way back from having visited them, I missed my turn. And Becky and I were talking, uh, we were laughing together, uh, the kids that were in the back of the car were laughing and talking, and suddenly it just dawned on me, I had never seen this place before, but it just felt right the direction I was going. Matter of fact, the little compass built onto the car still said I was going north, and so as I was, I looked down, I thought, well, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just not familiar, and I hadn't been on that road before. And then suddenly I saw a town and I realized I had preached in that town 10 or 12 years earlier. And I said, oh, no, we are off track. And I had to repent. I had to turn around and come back. Even though it felt like I was going in the right direction, and even though the compass said I was headed north, I was headed on a northern trajectory trajectory, that's a hard word to say, a northern trajectory that was taking me away from coming back to Michigan that I needed to be in. So let's be sure that tonight when we think about the coming of the Lord, the concepts and the ideas that we're trying to be sold that the Bible has changed or the Bible maybe doesn't mean what it says that it means, the Bible is pretty clear. You can read the Bible and knows what it says. We believe that God is real. We believe that God has spoken in his word. And we believe that wholesome thinking puts Christ at the center of it all. We sing a song here, and the name of that song is Jesus at the Center of It All. And I love that song. I sing it a lot of times in my devotions. I, one of my points in my Sunday morning message was about singing. But you see, a good actor, a good actor knows that they can't be the center of it all. The director is the one that has to be the center if the play or the movie is going to be central. And so the director puts the actors where they need to be. The director takes the script and, and makes the script and the stagehands and the camera people and prop people and everybody else is working together, including the actors. The director puts them in the place they want to be. The director is more or less the center of the play or the movie. And I hope that you will get that in your mind tonight, that when Jesus is the center of it all, Today's religion wants to make me the center of it all. It wants to make you the center of it all. It's reason it's called the me generation. You remember ads like, it costs more, but I'm worth it. Friends, and I'm not certainly against you enjoying something, but I am telling you that the prevailing philosophy of this world today is humanism and is to put people at the center of it all. If we're at the center of it all, it's going to fail. Let's keep Christ at the center of it all because wholesome thinking submits to God's plans. It's why John the Baptist said about Jesus. Now, now listen, this is important before I read this verse. John the Baptist didn't quite understand how Jesus was doing his ministry. John the Baptist was put into prison. John the Baptist would suffer for his faith. But John the Baptist said about Jesus, even though he expected Jesus to bring the kingdom in right away, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That's how John lived his life. 
There were people that were saying, boy, if Jesus' ministry begins to rise, then you're going to become less significant and less an important player. You know, that doesn't matter to us in the kingdom of heaven. I rejoice when my brothers rejoice. I, I, I weep when my brothers and sisters are suffering. In the kingdom of God, we want Jesus to be the center of it all. So if I'm not the key player, let's let the director put the key player in place. And let's remember, God is at the center of it all. Number three that I want you to see from this chapter tonight is that scoffers have always been with us and they intentionally reject the knowledge of God. And that's important. I use that word, you know, I want you to just write that word in your outline tonight. They intentionally reject the knowledge of God. <clears throat> Paul says they try to suppress the knowledge of God in his epistles. He says that they do that because they don't want to believe in a God. They don't want to believe that God is in control. And I can't tell you how many philosophers, I can't tell you how many times a student has sent to me a, a class lecture or something where a professor says, I don't want to believe in God. I choose not to believe in God. And history is full of, of people who have written because they just don't want to believe in God. Because if there is a God, now listen, we have responsibility to him. If there is a God that is in control of this world, then the governments have responsibility to him. And it doesn't matter if it's China or Russia or the United States. Every single nation, every single human being will have to give an accounting of their life to God. Now, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ and trusted him to forgive us of our sins, we look forward to that day. But for those who have not put their faith in Christ, then there's this desire to scoff and say it's been thousands of years. Look at this verse with me. Most importantly, now circle that in your outline. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. And how will they come? They will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. In other words, they put themselves at the center of the stage. They put themselves at the center of it all. And the reason they mock is because they don't want there to be a director. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Ha! You believe that? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world first was created. Now look at this next sentence. They deliberately, circle that word, they deliberately or intentionally forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. You know, people know that this whole universe that we live in is not some cosmic accident. It's too ordered. It's too sublime. There's so much going on here. Our sun is at the right position. The earth is at the right axis. The rest of the planets are in the right place. We have the right atmosphere. I, I could go on. That's not the point of this message tonight. But God created and universally in every culture that I'm aware of, in every culture that I'm aware of, there's a flood story where God destroyed the known world with the flood. So my friends, hear me tonight. There is an intentional desire. And they say, you know, it's remained the same. You know, the fact that 2,000 years have elapsed since Jesus went back to heaven and we await his return, it doesn't mean that we're further from the return. We're closer to the return of the Lord. I think one of my favorite stories about the fact that uh, Christ is coming again has to do with the fact that people who 
have tried to put time dates on it and stamp a date on it, you know, they've probably overprepared by disobeying what the Lord wanted them to do. Let me give you a story. This comes from years ago when I was a young pastor in my 20s. There was a family in our church, precious family. I loved them a lot. But they had been hurt, and they began coming to our church, and um, and um, they moved into our city, and somehow or another, in the sovereignty of God, they found our congregation. Well, one day he came to see me, and he just came to say, thank you for the preaching and the teaching you've given. He says, we were a part of a congregation that... You know, we believe we had figured out the timing of the Lord. He says, there's people from our church who are actually selling their land and moving to Alaska to buy property because Jesus was coming. Now, folks, this is back in the 1980s. You know, and then later there would be a man who wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. And then Becky and I have lived long enough. I remember when the first Gulf War happened. And there were all kinds of prophecy books being released then. Jesus was coming. You know, this was it. This was Babylon. We were battling Saddam Hussein, if you remember that name. Or as President Bush, the first President Bush used to say, Saddam Hussein. You know, we were battling him. And they were saying the coming of the Lord. And inside, I just kind of hurt every time I would see this happen. Because people get their hopes built up. And then Jesus doesn't come and they begin to doubt it. The scripture is really clear. We don't know the time nor the date. And even though there's a prophecy writer that I really respect, he's in heaven now, you know, he would push this sometime. He'd say, we may not know the date, but we can set limits. We cannot set limits on God's timetable. So let me just tell you that we can't set limits on God's timetable. And though he wrote a lot that was good, I think he would sometimes build up false expectations because people thought we could put limits. But this thought crossed my mind, and I want to share it with you tonight. You know, for those of you that came to know Jesus, maybe in 1988, or maybe you came to know Jesus during the COVID, uh, during the, uh, the first Gulf War, let me tell you something. What would your life be like if you hadn't given your life to Jesus in 1988? And where would you be today if you hadn't given your life to Jesus in in the early 1990s? You see, I'm sorry that maybe somebody misled you about the timing of the Lord, but I want you to know the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is to give your heart to Jesus. And now that we are Christians, and we know we can't know the time or the date, what we can do is live prepared. And by that, I mean that we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. You see, when you intentionally reject the knowledge, and I'm probably dealing with this point more than anything else in the message tonight, when you intentionally reject the knowledge or you take it for granted or you don't take it seriously, then you don't prepare. There was an interesting article in the Boston Globe that I copied and um, just let me read you a little bit from it tonight. An Italian journalist wrote a story that that the Boston Globe published and he said that the reason that there was such a failure on the COVID-19 crisis when it hit Italy, it was not due to a lack of testing. It was not due to a lack of slow political action. But listen, it was due to social and collective failure. Listen to that again. It was due to social and collective failure. This art, now this is an Italian journalist writing. He says, people just did not take the coronavirus 
seriously enough to even slightly adapt their habits. Notice that. They didn't take it seriously enough to even slightly suppress or change their habits. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read it to you. He says, I and many other Italians just did not see the need to change our routines for a threat we could not see. Don't miss that. We didn't see the need to change our routines for a threat that we could not see. He said we have accumulated moral knowledge, but it didn't affect our actions. And beloved, I am convinced that there are people who intentionally reject and suppress the knowledge of the second coming of the Lord, but then there are people, they know about it, but they live their lives as though Christ is not coming. So what I want to share with you is I live every day in anticipation of the Lord. A lot of times I will sing a song that I learned in the 70s. Could it be that this would be the day that starts eternity? Is that my soul that's telling me to lift up your eyes? There's something in the air. Friends, I know Jesus is coming, but I live my life preparing that he may not come for another 500 years. I hope he comes tonight. But if he does, but if he doesn't, then I'm preparing for my children, my grandchildren. I'm preparing this congregation. You know, we have plans in place now for preparing this church for long after I've gone to heaven if Jesus doesn't come before. Because you live wisely, but you live reverently. Jesus could come at any moment. And then Paul just kind of, I mean, Paul, Peter just kind of rears back with his baseball bat and he's swinging for the fences. I want you to look at what he says. He gives us the triple witness of the Bible. He says, I want you to remember, remember I brought this out to you while I was reading it. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Notice he points out the prophets. That's all of the Old Testament prophets. That's Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the minor prophets. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Jesus talked about his return quite a bit. And then the apostles. And remember, the church is built upon the teaching and the preaching of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then I give you a couple of verses there to help you understand the, the veracity, the inspiration, and the infallibility of the word of God. But let me point out one other thing here to you. And this is in your outline as well. When we believe the Bible, when we believe God's word, it will change our present. It will change our future. And it will also change our motivation for living. You see, I'm not living for a retirement program. I'm not living to play golf or shuffleboard for the latter years of my life. I can't imagine, you know, I don't believe in purgatory, but that would be purgatory for me if I was going to just shrivel up like a prune and be pushing shuffleboard down in Florida somewhere. All that God has taught me and given me all these years of my life, I, I feel like now I have more to offer than ever before. And friend, you have more to offer now than ever before. Don't just, you know, spend your last years playing have a motivation for living to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at what Peter says. May you grow, may you may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And then next week we're going to take a look at a little bit more about this. Well, I know some of these are uncomfortable truths, but let me quote a Methodist pastor. He's a bishop now, Will Willimon. I've read by Bishop Willimon for years. He's a he's a good Methodist preacher, and I appreciate his ministry. He's from my part of the country. 
But he was talking about how early in his ministry when he was serving a church in Georgia that he went to a funeral in another church and he said he was just agitated by the way the pastor preached the funeral. He said he preached a salvation message during the funeral and during the message he not only preached but he pounded on the pulpit. And then let me read it. He said that preacher said it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to have his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that, but he's dead now. It's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can decide if you're still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. And then Bishop Willeman goes on to tell about how that that preacher said that there was a funeral that a Greyhound bus lost control and hit a car in the funeral procession and killed them. He said, there's no promise of tomorrow. He says, you could meet Jesus before this day is over. Well, Willeman got in the car with his wife and he was pounding his steering wheel saying that was so manipulative. It was so emotional. It was so wrong of him to do it. And his wife looked at him and said to him, you know, I've never heard anything like it. It was insensitive, but worst of all, it was also true. And that arrested him. And friends, I want you to know tonight, sometimes the preaching and the teaching of the second coming of Christ and what's going to happen, it may sound insensitive to a culture that wants us to be at the center of all. But friends, the word of God is true. And I hope that we'll pay attention. Well, in closing tonight, would you just remember this? God's perspective on time is different than ours. God's perspective is totally different than ours. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, <clears throat> and a thousand years is like a day. One of my favorite stories about this verse of Scripture is an economist that when he read this, <clears throat> he went to the Lord in prayer, and he says, Lord, is it true that a thousand years is like a day to you? And the Lord said to him, yes. He says, well, then... If it's true that a thousand years is like a day to you, then it must be, a, 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 a day must be like a minute. And he goes, yeah, he says a minute would be more like a, a day, a thousand years be more like a day. He goes, well, Lord, then a million dollars must be like one penny to you. And the economist said, the Lord said to him, yes. And so the economist says, would you give me one of those pennies? And the Lord says, all right, just wait a minute. You don't even have to wait a full day. Just wait a minute. You see, we sometimes, we have this perspective on God's time that is so different. I've referred you to several books tonight that talked about the coming of the Lord and people setting times. Let me close with these words from Billy Graham. It's in your outline. Not only does the Old Testament tell us to expect the second coming of Christ, not only is the New Testament filled with the promise of it, but if we would study the historic documents of our major denominations, we would find that our founders all believed and accepted it. The most thrilling, glorious truth in all the world is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is the sure promise of the future. Friends, Jesus is coming. So let me ask you a question. Does that make you glad? Does that thrill your heart or does it cause you angst? The fact that Jesus is coming and we will have to give an accounting of our life to him, does that bring joy to you? Last night, 
I had a family call me and they were broken hearted because of a lost friend of theirs, a lost family member of theirs called them and just went off and just defied God and said to them, if God is, if, if God doesn't like the way I'm living, then I don't want anything to do with God. When I die, I'm going to tell him to his face. Well, you know, I, after I hung up the phone and prayed with them, I thought walking up, there will come a time in eternity if that person doesn't repent, that that is going to come back to haunt them. But for my friend, I said to them, does not the coming of the Lord spark joy in your heart? They said, oh, yes, Pastor. The thought that Jesus is coming again, the, call, the thought that Jesus is going to come and set all the world to right, the thought that when Jesus comes, that not only will there be no more sickness and death and dying, there'll be no war or pain. Yes, it thrills me. You see the difference? For the person that wants to be at the center of it all, they shake their finger at God and say, I don't like you. But the person who loves the Lord and loves his appearing, they look forward to the second coming of Christ with great joy and anticipation. Where does this question find you? Next week, we're going to look at the rest of this chapter because Peter has a lot more to say about the coming of the Lord to us. Join me in prayer tonight. Father, it's because I believe this that I have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's because I believe that you're coming again that, Lord, I have to be a participant in not only in the ministry of our church and our community, but in world missions, Lord, because lost people around the world need to know this message. Father, it's because I believe this that I pray for our government and for our leaders, Lord, that they will humble themselves before the mighty hand of the Lord. It's because I believe this that I pray that your glory and honor, Lord, would cover this earth, that the knowledge of the Lord would cover this planet, Lord, the way the waters cover the sea. Lord, it's because I believe this that I look forward to waking up again tomorrow morning, if you should tarry, so that I have one more chance to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so now I pray for my Christian friends who are watching tonight, that God, you would stir in us not only a thrill of joy and anticipation, but a soberness about the coming of the Lord. What are we doing, God, to reach our family? How are we praying for our children and our grandchildren? How are we working in our community to be salt and light to our community and our neighborhood? And Father, I also come to you tonight and I pray as well for my lost friends, I pray even this very evening that you would begin to confront them. Do they want to be center stage or do they want you to be center stage? God, open their eyes, rip away from their eyes the scales that the enemy has blinded them with so that they come to faith in you. And that like Billy Graham, like myself tonight, that the teaching and the preaching of the second coming of Jesus Christ that, Lord, it begins to thrill us and make us joy. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. You know, in times past, I've recommended a lot of resources about, you know, the second coming of the Lord here at Woodland. And if you'd like to know some resources uh, that you could read along with your Bible along this subject, I'd be happy to share them with you. All you got to do is email us here at office at woodland.church. 
And please don't forget to join us online for our prayer service Saturday at 6 o'clock. Just come to my Facebook page and Becky and I will be leading an hour-long intercessory prayer service. And also, please remember your tithes and your offerings. We're so thankful for your generous giving during this time. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. And remember, Jesus is coming soon. Thank you.